This story is brought to your ears by all our fantastic supporters on Patreon. To get in on the action yourself with bloopers, extras, and the occasional early story, join us at patreon.com slash voiceofallmtg. We'd like to thank our newest patrons, DM, Joshua Koslowski, Ori, Greg Orff, Ant, and Kansans for already donating. For more stories, or just a chat, visit voiceofallmtg.com or find us on Twitter at voiceofallmtg. And now, Voice of All presents Know Which Way the Wind is Blowing. Episode 1 of Kaldheim Extras by Setsu Uzume. Seal fat, salted meat, and cook smoke permeated the air of the long hall, sheltering at least a hundred warriors of stone and sea. There was no sun nor moon in Kaldheim, and its nights were growing longer. The faint light from staves carved like oars or shark fins, runestone charms, and the banked glow of brazier fires glinted off Nico Eris's new breastplate and pauldrons, as though the athlete carried the summer sky with them even in this frozen place. Nico rolled the round stone between brown fingers, estimating its weight. The sailors were from another clan. Blue tattoos ran in concentric circles along their faces and arms, rippling like the sea as they cast bets and doubt upon Nico's skill. Seven warriors arranged in a V at the far end of the table, holding out their drinking horns, grinning and grimacing. Only one sailor protected her eyes. To the poised athlete's left, Chell, a brown-skinned Kana mystic, tugged at the snow fox pelts draped over his broad shoulders, the chain of green runestones around his neck casting an eerie glow over the white fur. The silver cuffs in his braided beard clicked as he spoke. Three hits, then dead center. To those gathered, a bet. To Nico, instructions. Nico slid their boot back along the packed dirt floor and through, their long limbs aligned and precise. The stone bounced off one drinking horn, skipped across an iron plate, hit another drinking horn, and then landed with a plop in the drink of the blue-cloaked sailor at the far end of the table. She pursed her lips and fished the stone out while the others laughed and cheered. Well played, you two. The armor's yours. Nico spread their hands and bowed wearing their winnings, a mismatched assortment of the peace gifts exchanged between the Kana and Omen Seekers to bless their arrival at Jetmaw. The outpost itself, a neutral area between the sea and the forests, had been built, burned, and rebuilt several times, the charred stone foundations standing like broken teeth just above the shore. The only buildings left standing were the Jetmaw Longhouse, Smokehouse, and a dilapidated stable that itinerant trappers used for shelter. The others moved off toward the massive hearth, where a fire burned at the far end of the longhouse, and Chell pressed a stone cup of something warm into Nico's hand. I should have made it harder for you. <laughs> Upside down next time? And reciting the saga of Aegil Seventree. Do they know Seventree in the Lost Realms? Never mind, I'll teach you. How's the fit? How does it feel? Better than trekking across frozen tundra for two weeks on the back of a giant bear. Better than a pile of musty furs over the thin cheetah and sandals Nico had arrived in. 
better than being cornered by an agent of faint in one moment, and then stepping through the dizzying kaleidoscope of color and sound to this place, to freedom. Feels great. They smoothed down the front of their armor. A fur-lined gambeson under a leather coat with embedded steel plates joining a wide war belt. Their fine indigo chiton had been repurposed and affixed to the side like a trophy of Theros and the life Nico had left behind. After exhaustive debate and maps sketched in the dirt that neither could reconcile, Chell concluded that Theros was a lost realm of Kaldheim, a branch snapped from the world tree. They drained their cup. How long until we move on? We hold until Finn Snake Hunter calls the end of Frith. I'll prod him along before winter starts to bite, don't worry. He gestured toward the corner claimed by the Kana, the bear warriors sitting atop the table and benches as though it were a rocky outcrop. Even at rest, the Kana were as rugged as the land, bristling with weapons and fur-lined armor, loping from their corner to the spitted boar and back like the great white bears they rode. Nico had fallen into their path by accident, swept up into the living avalanche, clothed and fed without question. Chell, as the Kana Augur and Land Reader, had mentored Nico every step of the way, just as he had guided twenty bear riders from their forest on this urgent mission. Frith is guest rights? If we were in our own territory, yes. But abroad, peace or truce. The playfulness from the bedding had hardened into something more serious. Winter itself hounded them. Whenever Akana left their forest, soft snows followed, then hail and thunder, until spears of ice forced the Kana to return or perish. The old gods cursed that the new gods ignored, and as long as the Kana stayed in their lands, those around them were safe. But some things were worse than curses. Chell leaned his glowing rune staff against the edge of the table. Or hath stone back as of a drone. The omens seek a word for a rune priest, and a wary one of that. Z wouldn't have landed their ship if Z thought winter would trap their people or prevent their departure. Finn might stall though. Wouldn't be the first time he's used our curse as leverage in a conflict. You'd intentionally bring winter down on the uncursed? Chell shook his head. We're here for counsel, not war. Frith demands you share food and a roof with anyone who asks. Maybe we posture a bit, show off the gods, but no worse. You never know if the beggar you snob might be Alrund in disguise. Chell had explained Alrund as the god of wisdom, though Nico had difficulty imagining a humble god. Nefara shared her wisdom for the good of all, but would never demean herself by hiding among mortals. Even in rougher places like Akros, the god Karanos' epiphanies came like flashes of lightning to quicken the mind and produce results. He had no patience for tricks and tests. Your gods just show up? Without ceremony? The dull roar of talk and laughter flared as a woman with long braids took up a seat by the hearth. So they say. Or maybe it's just a story to keep us polite. Nico twitched their metallic blue hair out of their eyes. <laughs> Which is true. Both. Eat quick, then we'll see to the bears. 
Members of named and unnamed clans made their way through the longhouse, sliding slabs of meat onto plates with belt knives, adding more wood to the braziers, and refilling jugs of sweet, warm drinks. The tables and benches scattered around the hall began to empty as the sailors, warriors, hunters, and trappers clustered near the hearth to hear the woman's tale. The quieter the hall, the easier it was for Nico to make out her words, deep and rich with their own music. Storm black wings spread wide, casting shadow and scorn over the battle swirling around Thura Sailrend. Thura would not escape death that day, for only death draws the attention of the Valkyries. Fifteen people, wearing patchwork furs, thick but fraying robes, and worn armor, sat wrapped in a tight cluster around the storyteller, her hands spread, braids lustrous in the firelight, and her bright, amethyst eyes, like twin stars set in the shadow of her silhouette. But Valkyries fly always as a pair, and Sailrend knew her choice. Defile her blade with the blood of family, or earn a place of honor in Starnheim. Once friend, once brother, Kinkiller emerged from the dust and smoke, frothing like a beast, his clan marks scarred and smeared beyond recognition, and Sailrend dropped her weapon. Beyond the rapt audience, scattered clusters of people slowed what they were doing to listen. Fresh-faced teenagers stopped tapping the bone pieces in their game of nine grid. Hale elders chuckled conspiratorially while they pulled meat from a spitted boar. Kinkiller leapt, Sailrend lunged, and the two fought with a viciousness only family can ever know. Finally, Sailrend wrenched Kinkiller's sword from him, threw him to the ground, and sank his own betrayer's blade through his heart and down into the earth upon which she swore. Nico nabbed a half-finished plate of smoked meat from another Kana, too absorbed to object. Beneath the forest of boots and weapons, a large gray cat caught Nico's attention. Under its thick and fluffy coat, it looked as large and formidable as the gathered warriors. Azure light whispered from Nico's hand, and a tiny mirror formed in their palm. With one precise throw, they slid it toward the cat. The cat's ears perked. It pounced, and the mirror disappeared. Her family avenged and the waves of blood rage stilling to a calmer sea. Sailrend sank to her knees. For each pound of her heart, the poison in her veins bit deeper. The cat lashed its tail, sniffing, and Nico tossed another mirror. It pounced and batted at the slip of silver before it disappeared. Nico tossed a third mirror. The cat sniffed wearily lifted a paw to strike, and Nico conjured another, causing the toy to disappear once again. The cat tensed, sniffed the bright spot of light Nico reflected onto the floor, squinted at Nico, and sauntered over. Thura Sailrend, Thura Oathkeeper, Thura Cursebreaker, fell dead. The two Valkyries spread their wings, conferring over her great deeds, her triumphs, and failures. Nico held the mirror out for the cat to sniff. The cat purred, 
curled its lip back to nuzzle one thing against Nico's finger. But before Nico could give it a scritch, the cat took the mirror in its teeth and ran under a less occupied table to enjoy its prey. Nico called their magic back, and the mirror shattered harmlessly and disappeared. Answering the question that coats all dead tongues. The traitor, Tisfel. But the brave. She had earned her place in Starnheim. The throng around the storyteller cheered, raised their drinks to her, and drank deeply. The cat looked from the bare ground to Nico, betrayed. Nico chuckled, smoothed a finger over the square of stubble on their chin, and looked up. The storyteller was watching them. The storyteller took a small bowl from the fire and asked someone to collect fresh snow. An admirer practically tripped over herself to obey. The storyteller brushed past her and instead made a beeline for Nico. Chell shooed the other Kana out of their seats with a stern look as the storyteller arranged herself on the bench across from Nico without waiting to be invited, summer in her smile. <sighs> Much longer in front of that hearth and I'd crisp like the boar. She sized Nico up and then tossed a question to Chell. Long journey, Augur? Chell sat easy at Nico's side, but the playful edges of his voice softened, wary as a rabbit under an eagle's shadow. Any journey ending with such beauty before me is worth the distance. Pfft, how often do you practice that line? Every day. The bears love it. Yes, I've heard that about the Kana. <laughs> when the admirer returned with the warm bowl of snow, it was mostly melted. She placed it on the floor by the bench where it wouldn't get kicked. Threat? Nico tensed, ready to summon Silver. But the cat came mewing to the bowl at the sound of its name and the storyteller gave it an affectionate stroke. Yours? Jutmaw's, or maybe the boat's. It was sweet of you to play the mouse for her. I meet many strangers from many places, but never one so uninterested in my stories. Nico couldn't tell if the storyteller meant the cat or them. Like muscle memory, Nico slipped into the mean reserve for court and other public functions. But before they could offer pleasantries, Chell slapped an arm over Nico's shoulders. Biggie, this is Nico. They're of the canna for as long as they ride with us. Nico, this is Biggie, fortune's own gift. Birgi winked at Nico, and Nico brushed back one metallic lock of hair. A pleasure. Nico Bear Rider. Nico Icefoot. Destined for greatness, this one. They'd had greatness already. An undefeated champion of countless competitions and tournaments, their accuracy with the javelin was unmatched. Back home, they were famous. It was nice to be unknown for a change. I have proper boots now. Icefoot will have to go to someone else. Great deeds birth their own names. Yours will choose for you. Another admirer brought the storyteller a cup of mead and a plate of oily, fragrant, smoked fish. She thanked them with a nod, and then dug in. Speaking of great names, I don't see Orhaft among us. Orhaft Stoneback is still on the boat with Finn. There was a small rumble, like a fully laden cart crossing a bridge. Chell grinned. <laughs> yeah. The great work begins. Birgi rolled her eyes. That's an omen path, you clam. Don't bore me with the weather. What's Snake Hunter's business with the sailors? Bad dreams. Sure is Tergrid's own shadow. Once an interpretation, 
Birgi leaned forward, asking without words. Chell did the same, recounting what Finn had told them both. Splintered docks over an empty lake, the stink of serpent scales and the triple star winks. Starnheim winks? Winks out. The cosmos serpent will break its cage and the first thing it swallows will be the light. Birgi sat back. Whale rot. A young man's dream turned to an old man's regret, that's all. Chell spread his hands. So sure? They say he ripped a scale from the Cosmos Serpent's body and now carries it as a shield. Finn and Coma are linked. Is it so hard to believe that one would shake the other? I believe that Big Axe looks pretty across his shoulders. Why go to Orhaft about it? Maybe Omen Seeker magic has a need of serpent-touched blood. Maybe an old debt repaid. Chell pulled a long, thin fishbone out of his bite and dropped it on the edge of his plate. Or maybe a threat to Starnheim as a threat to us all. Chell's playful demeanor covered a constant state of watchfulness in the service of his people, but Finn Snakehunter played no such games. He rode at the head of an avalanche of bear warriors, his massive scale shield fixed to his back, giant axe in one hand and reins in the other his own mount lichen-green and snorting jets of vapor between black gums. This man commanded bare-shouldered berserkers, shield warriors, and clerics like Chell. Such people do not dream or call for outside help lightly. Why are you telling her all this? No deed stays quiet for long. And while you carry no knife, staff, or rune, I don't think you're half as boring as you pretend to be. She swallowed a bite of fish, and then grabbed a drinking horn in each hand. Come, little mouse, let's water the bears. The two of them followed Birgi out of the hall and into the frozen twilight. Birgi's boots crunched over slush, grinding dead grass into the mud. Did you know Orhaft Stoneback earns her name by getting stabbed and not realizing it for hours? Clusters of Omen Seeker sailors and Kana warriors talked quietly in little groups, standing straighter as she passed. In the distance, the bears woofed. Stabbed in the back without puncturing the organs? <laughs> I doubt it. A few Omen Seekers sat on petrified stumps just outside the long hall, ruddy-cheeked and arms bare. Birgi handed off one horn, which they passed among themselves, drinking greedily. And yet the name stuck traveled became true. <sighs> Those in power embellish their deeds, or their admirers do it for them. Birgi turned, holding the remaining horn out to Nico. You don't seem a surgeon or an auger, little mouse. Can you look at a scar and know its cause? Nico folded their arms. Chell took the horn instead and sipped perfunctorily, a polite and unwilling participant in a ritual whose purpose Nico couldn't guess. You can't get stabbed in the back and not know. Not even by accident. A group of Kana burst through the doors in a wave of raucous laughter, and then moved off downwind to yellow the snow. Nico shook their head. It's total nonsense. Stoneback tells a truer tale than Snake Hunter. Nico looked back. The omen seeker who had spoken leaned against the longhouse, sweet faced and thick shouldered. She met Nico's gaze, and then spat into the snow. Chell sucked his teeth, taking his time to drain the rest of the horn, sediment and all. 
Birgi winked down at Nico. Ready for the truth, little mouse? What was that? I couldn't understand you through all the fish piss you've been gargling. Glancing to the group of Kana behind them, the omen seekers rose, advancing on Chell with their thumbs looped in belts or harness straps where their weapons were stowed. Nico's fingers tingled in their new gloves. Not an overt threat. Yet. My brother crewed Stoneback's ship when the attack happened. He saw the wound. A shorter fellow with eyes like honed steel flicked his gaze toward Birgi, then puffed up and tossed his black hair. Sweetface backed him up. Can Finn prove what he's claimed? Your brother didn't see rot. Stabbed in the back in their own bedroom, was it? Show me the map-faced boat that has a whole house on it. More warriors trickled out of the longhouse and crowded closer, mouths still greasy from the meal. They were all drunk, brought together under bad omens and their leaders way out of earshot. Nico moved to intervene, to defuse the situation, but Birgi touched their shoulder, holding them back. Steel Eyes' smile was mostly teeth. You lichen lickers should take that crusty green mushroom and slink back to the forest where you belong! The tattoos on Birgi's neck and shoulder shimmered aqua, and her amethyst eyes blazed. How do you answer that, Kana? A ripple of jeering spread out in the wake of Birgi's call. This caught the attention of the drunk bear warriors, who trudged up behind the gathering group of sailors. One Kana, with green tattoos that cut sharp angles across her bare shoulders, slipped between Chell and Steel Eyes. The two squared up, but the Omen Seeker refused to back down. Should I say it again? The only serpent snake hunters ever fought is his own- With a crunch and a spray of blood, the insult died between a Kana forehead and an Omen Seeker face. Chell pushed Nico behind him, not for protection, but to clear a path into the fray. Everyone was in it now, knees to guts, elbows to throats, punching and bashing, wild laughter and shouts of pain. A Kana elbow shot back, cracking another Kana's teeth before a sailor rushed them, hauled them into the air, and slammed them onto their back. Something flashed in Nico's periphery from the other side of the chaos, and they jerked sideways, dodging a projectile that landed with a sharp fuck. Whalebone. An omen seeker dagger, buried in the wall where Nico's head had been. Above it all, where the snow was still untouched, Birgi leaned against the charred bones of a stone wall, tattoos shimmering, smiling down at Nico. Nico froze, shocked. The Breta Garter had dozens of rules and stories about helping strangers and had formally called Frith. Birgi had made this happen, passed a horn to each side, pressed Nico to doubt Orhoff's deeds in earshot of the sailors. But why? Chell's shout snapped Nico out of it. Across the field he whirled, danced, his staff flashing as he staved off two omen seekers, and a third advanced toward him. Nico slid through the slush under blows, pirouetting around axes and daggers. One Kana jumped between Nico and a blow, bent double, and Nico leapt, rolled across his back, and hit the ground running on the other side. Nico's palm opened, and fragments of silver coalesced into shards of mirror glass, trailing a faint blue glow as they spun around Nico like an aura. 
Nico grabbed a shard in each hand, stretching each into a dagger, and threw with unerring accuracy, one after the other. One after the other, Chell's assailants were hit in the chest. The mirror trap absorbed its target entirely, leaving a mirrored illusion of their form to shatter into a thousand pieces of glass. To the onlooker, each weapon had decimated its victim, but Nico knew they were safely and painlessly held within the daggers as they struck, each of these spinning harmlessly off into snowbanks at either side. The last attacker missed this spectacle, slashing at Chell from outside his periphery. Nico reached for another shard, when they heard fabric tear and the snick of slicing meat as the last attacker swiped at Chell's arm. The auger jerked back, his balance stolen by the mud and slush. In that moment of hesitation, the Omen Seeker grabbed him by the hair and slammed his face into her knee. No dagger this time. A third mirror trap would sap Nico's energy, forcing them to release the first two from their traps far sooner than was safe. Trailing Azure Light followed as Nico flattened the third mirror into a short, flat, wide spear point about the width of their palm. Chell spat blood into the snow, stunned and blinking. The Omen Seeker smirked down at him, stepped forward to close the distance, and as soon as her foot was off the ground, Nico threw. Like a stone skipping off a plate, the flat spear slid under the Omen Seeker's boot. She slipped and fell hard, smacking her head on the frozen dirt. With one mirror still circling, giving glimpses of all sides, Nico dived toward Chell and helped him sit up. He startled, nose and lip bloody, but not missing any teeth. Blood flecked his beard and his white fox fur. Oh, I'll feel that one tomorrow. Did you turn those two into ice? Looks worse than it is. They'll be fine. Nico plucked the Omen Seeker's knife from her hand, then caught a flash of something in their last circling mirror. The two traps sparkled in the snow. The last attacker lay prone, groaning softly, and the three of them were separated from the main cluster out by the old stable. But there was something else watching. Perched on the roof behind them, a winged being stood tall, beautiful, terrible, with dove-gray feathers that radiated moonlight as blue and pure as winter. Yellow hair framed their dark brown face, severe gray eyes watching Nico with interest. For only death draws the attention of the Valkyries. They were watching to see if Nico would finish the Omen Seeker. Using their eyes, the floating mirror, and the knife blade, Nico searched in all directions at once. In the stories, Valkyries always flew in pairs, and Nico wasn't about to let someone else be taken. Perched on a boulder pitted by rain and sleet was the Valkyrie's counterpart. This Valkyrie had lighter brown skin and shining black hair braided into long, tidy ropes. His raven-black wings shimmered with waves of agate-green light, his armor blackened where the others had shone. Nico swallowed. They were here because someone was going to die. Chell was here because his paradise might be in danger. Nico was here because there was no time to explain. Chell, get her to safety. They tossed the bone knife away and palmed their last trap. Chell didn't ask. He ducked. In one graceful motion, Nico rose, slid into stance, and hurled a flash of silver at the black-winged one. The Valkyrie barely had time to turn. 
The trap hit home right between his wings, shattered the illusion of his body into a thousand mirrored shards, and finished its arc with a soft chuff, landing harmlessly in the snow. The trap was full, but it wouldn't be for long. Without looking back at the gray-winged one, Nico bolted, swiped the shard of Valkyrie from the snowbank, and called back their magic to release the first two traps. Both omen seekers rolled into the snow, disoriented and unharmed, and Nico siphoned all the power that held them into this final shard, reinforcing its edges on all sides to hold the creature hurling itself against the boundaries within. Nico ran for the beach, toward the ship. If anyone could get the warriors to stop fighting, it would be their commanders. Seawater swirled and splashed as Nico vaulted, one-handed, up the side of the boat, tumbled over the side, and rolled to their feet, cradling the Shard of Valkyrie. Orhaft! Both elders turned toward the intrusion. Finn's plate armor clinked despite its cushion of bare pelts, and the green runestones decorating his beard cast an eerie glow against his pink skin. The Omen Seeker was brown-skinned, thick and solidly built, clutching a staff topped with a wooden blade carved like a whale's fin. Z had a shaved head and elegant cheekbones set in a broad, beardless face. Their green and blue robes flowed into a blue cloak held in place by a necklace of long fangs pulled from some sea beast. Their arms and belly were bare, except the blue circular tattoos that flowed from their crown to their fingertips, pale green eyes like landmarks within that topography. This was Orhoft Stonebeck, Zee of the Kurda Sea and Vedrun of this ship. And Zee was not pleased. It's you. Why are you alone, Nico? Where's Jell? Finn stepped between Nico and the golden lines of magic etched in the ship's deck like a chart. They're all fighting! Blades out, blood on the snow! Some woman goaded them on! You have to stop them! What woman? Biggie! They've lost their minds! Nico held the shard out like a talisman. They felt the black-winged Valkyrie struggle like a hawk battering the bars of Finch's cage, but his efforts made no difference. He pounded on the mirror from within, pale brown eyes sparkling with light. Finn and Orhoff took Nico's meaning immediately. Valkyries meant death. Is it entirely under your power? Nico didn't like the hunger in the way he said it. They're trapped, but they can hear you. Toward the horizon, where an earthquake had no business of being, a rumble like the ocean clearing its throat. Orhoft glanced back, their staff glowing gold like dawn on another world. Finn shouldered his axe in one smooth motion, neither weakened nor slowed by age. Finn's eyes lingered on the shard of Valkyrie as he took up his strange shield. I'll deal with the Scotty. You deal with this. No decisions until I return. Orhoft grunted in assent. Finn vaulted the rail of the ship, spat into the sand, and loped toward the fuss like a bear set to solve a dispute among squirrels. Nico was about to ask what a Scotty was, but Orhoft sliced through the question. You captured a Valkyrie and call it keeping frith? Nico jerked a hand back toward the longhouse where the fighters still swarmed like ants. I kept frith. I'm the only one who didn't leap into this fight, and as far as I can tell, I'm the only one trying to stop it. Thunder purred in the distance. There were no clouds. You! Stop Birgi! <laughs> I could no more stop an omen path. 
and there are more coming. Chell had described omen paths as the ways between worlds, opening and closing at random like the freeze and thaw of a land bridge. One was good hunting, two danger, more a doom scar, when clashing realms ripped each other open like a hull and a reef. Do you realize what you've brought to Finn? You've done harm, outsider, proving that a Valkyrie can be trapped. If it's a choice between a trap or a death... The gods thought that. The Cosmos Serpent once traveled freely through all realms, preying on the monsters that make prey of us. Whether the Scotty planned to keep the Serpent for other ends, or leave it to grow mad in its cage, those bonds are slipping, or they've been cut. And you think that's my doing? It's someone's doing. Orhoft pointed to the images glowing gold on the deck, the ebb and flow of the symbols both still and shifting, one vision overlaying another, painful to behold. Finn Snake Hunter wants two things in this world, Koma and Starnheim. You seem poised to give him both. This isn't about conquest, it's about preventing a catastrophe. Snake Hunter and I have both seen how it goes. You in Jutmore, you in Starnheim. Above the churn of warriors, a burst of aurora light fanned out and then disappeared. Orhoft pointed Zerchen at the hill. Where you walk, destruction follows. That doesn't mean I'm the cause. Another prophecy. Finn hadn't said a word. Nico didn't know if that was better or worse than their parents, whose faith in Nico's shining destiny made it impossible to voice their doubts. No one ever asked what Nico wanted. Nico looked down at the shard, nostrils flaring. I'm not Kana. I, I don't serve Finn, and I'm not an omen. I'm just a person. If you're convinced that destruction follows me, then, then send me to Starnheim with a warning so they're prepared. You want me to kill you? No. I've travelled between worlds before. Nico held up the shard so Orhoft could see the Valkyrie trapped inside. This being travels back and forth without dying. If there's a chance we can help each other, we have to try. The Theron held the shard out to the Vedrun. Orhoft accepted the shard, peering down, their green eyes reflecting back over the Valkyrie's baleful expression. Nico watched the gears turn in the Vedrun's head, what he might gain by bartering with death, and the decisions he'd already made before promising Finn to make none. Orhoft glanced back up at Nico. What makes you so sure you can achieve the same? A lifetime of training. An unwavering devotion not to the javelin, but to the prophecy set upon them as a baby. Nico would become champion. There was no magic behind Nico's skill, only choice. Nico chose to wake up early each day chose to take corrections without complaining, and chose to push beyond what was possible. The prophecy was one path. But what impact could a champion have? Would it mean anything in the end? Nico remembered the tournament, the oracle, and what it felt like to choose a different path. I never miss. Then take care you aim at the right target. Leave Snake Hunter to me. Return to the ship once you've said your farewells. I will give you what you ask for. Will this 
Are, are you going to kill me? I won't. As to what happens on the other side, that's your responsibility. Nico made their way back across the sand, head full, body light. This was a brutal, cold, and hostile place, and Nico couldn't guess what paradise meant to its people. But to Nico, it hinted at a realm full of beings who traveled regularly among worlds. Maybe they would help Nico understand how to navigate the omen paths. There had to be a technique, something to study, practice, perfect, and someone who could teach them how it all fit together. The longer they looked at the fighters packing their wounds with snow, the clearer it became that Nico wouldn't find that teacher here. Youths on both sides vociferously scolded by their elders about blood payments and owed for unworthy reasons. Others kept gesturing to Birgi, and in front of the goddess, shame on you! Still others laughed about their wounds. Finn was nowhere to be seen. Instead, Birgi found Nico first, the hope and pride of would-be heroes rippling in her wake. Did you see when I- Birgi, be sure to tell everyone how I- <laughs> I hope the scars are nice and clear, so everyone will know. Birgi was a full head taller than Nico, and a goddess beside, apparently. But Nico didn't care. They shoved her back. Birgi blinked. The knotwork tattoos at her throat shimmering blue for a moment, then subsiding. For a moment, Nico glimpsed something ancient, terrifying. A reservoir of power as deep and dangerous as the conflagration walking in the embers of the gentlest fire. Birgi's lips parted, and the urge to draw a weapon rolled through Nico. But that was how this fight began. Nico understood that now. Understood that nature of Birgi's power, and held it under tight control. What kind of god drives their own people to kill each other? Birgi leaned in close. What kind of mortal steals into another world to play with cats when they can do what you do? Nico's eyes widened. I'm not here to tell you what to do, little mouse. I did this so you may know us. Our joy, our rage, how little lies between. Freedom means nothing unless you know what you risk. She placed a hand over her heart. If you have the strength to survive us, you can survive anything. The goddess looked out upon her people, the way they limped and laughed and mixed with each other as though the fight had been a, a game among friends. The zeal in Birgi's smile softened to something like love as she regarded each one of them, from their blades to their bruises the precious corners of her storyteller's heart like a great sea holding up a flotilla of memories, history, hard-won lessons, and outrageous feats. From the outside, it was madness. But among them, it was hope. Chell's over there, by the way. He's a good storyteller. He knows what I mean. Chell approached, looking a little worse for wear. He said something in greeting to Birgi that Nico missed, and Birgi giggled, squeezing his injured arm. He sucked his teeth in pain, swatted at her, and she left to go back inside the long haul. Was that really a god? God of brats. He patted his arm, checking the wound where he'd been slashed, 
Chell was either a remarkably fast healer, or Birgi's squeeze had nudged things along. But we can't stop her, so we forgive her. Nico chewed at what Birgi had said. If I'm honest, I can't tell when she's telling the truth and when she's telling the story. <laughs> Part of the fun. That sailor's safe, by the way. Concussion. She'll be fine when she's done tossing up her guts. Did you know she's Olaf's right hand? Good thing you saved her. Her blood price would have been worth all your armor and more. And did you see that burst of light? I think it was the other Valkyrie. About that. Nico blew out a puff of air. Why was this so hard? Orhaft is going to send me to Starnheim. Alive? To warn them. It should surprise me that's even possible, but... Finn's vision. Nico shrugged. That's the plan. Both Orhaft and Finn said it's my fault. They had known each other for two weeks, but he always knew what to say. Don't prove them wrong. One corner of Nico's mouth turned up. Yeah. You want to come? When he didn't answer, Nico licked their lips. Beggy said I had to know the risks. And that you're a good storyteller. The Kana cleric leaned his staff on the stones of an old foundation. The building long since burned and scattered. He watched the lights of Starnheim glitter in the sky as he scoured blood from his hands with clean slush. You told me that you were destined from birth to be a champion. That you never missed and that you chose to lose the great games just to find out if you could deny destiny. Nico frowned. Finn saw you. Said you were a threat. Commanded me to keep you close. Stop you if needed. Chell flexed his fingers. Deep roots, stone veins, they all speak to me. When the sky can't, birds tell the rest. The wind breathes and I hear. But I choose what Finn hears. Nico didn't speak, hardly dared to breathe. You chose to spare that sailor and I chose not to stop you. If you're a threat, my friend, it's not to us. Chell looked back at Nico. Prophecy, visions, fate, their orders with the ring to them, that doesn't make them real. The words came to Nico's mouth as though planted there by Birgi. Just a story. Just so. I'll stay, make sure Finn hears what he needs to hear, and I'll see Starnholm when it's my time. That's for you. Chell gripped Nico's shoulders. Get up there and tell them who you are, then do something crazy. Oh, yeah, sure. Kick the door in, punch one of them in the face. <laughs> yes! Chell beamed, took up his staff with clean hands, and raised it high. Burst upon them before they can fly away! Nico Valkyrie Puncher! They laughed and then embraced, clapping each other on the back. Whatever came next, there would always be safety here. A drink, an ear, solid ground to fall back on. Unable to find the cat for a final goodbye, Nico left Chell on the beach and boarded the Omen Seeker ship. Finn gave silent assent by helping push the boat off onto the water where Orhoff's magic would steer its drifting. Aboard, Nico found the Vedroon and the trapped Valkyrie talking in hushed tones, secrets passing between them that only those born to the same place could know. 
Orhoft revealed only that the black-haired, black-winged Valkyrie's name was Avtir, and that those with dark wings are called Reapers. You'll be released once Nika was moved through safely. By the salt of my blood and the bow of my ship. So witnessed. We see all or have to stone back. We will remember whether you kept your vow this day. Does your charge know the risks? I cannot promise their safe return. No living mortal has ever set foot in Starnheim. Orhoff looked to Nico, and they nodded their consent. Someone has to be first. The Omen Seeker ship drifted slow and steady over a naturally placid water. Orhoft raised their staff, blue tattoos alight with magic, guiding their course toward the rumbling, buzzing edges of an omen path about to be born. Something shivered at the edge of Nico's awareness, and then slipped out of their control. The Valkyrie's body was still imprisoned, but his magic, slow and steady as the press of ages, slid like a thousand tiny needles through Nico's hold on him. Nico's heart shot into their throat, this new weakness laid bare. But the Vedrun's oath held where the mirror had failed. The Valkyrie's magic pierced Orhoth's power, guiding, directing, suffusing the energies. The omen path rippled and changed, blue water overlaid with black. Through a haze of magic, skiffs bobbed on black water, the far horizon at slightly the wrong angle. One skiff, like a curious duck, drifted closer to the threshold between worlds. Nico bounced on the balls of their feet, flexed their fingers, and vaulted the rail. They landed on the far skiff with a splash of water that smelled rich with silt. Their stomach lurched, adjusting to the new angle of down. Turning, Nico raised a hand, a thank you and farewell to the omen seeker Vedrun, to Bretagard, to Chell. The omen path closed behind them, deep twilight replaced by a bright pre dawn sky over mirror black water. The skiff bumped against a vast network of docks that disappeared into the kind of light that sings of home. Nico climbed out of the boat, straightened their armor, brushed a lock of silver-violet hair out of their eyes, and set out to prove destiny wrong. Again. Thank you for listening to this production of Voice of All. As listener-supported entertainment, we rely on you not just for the voices of the characters, but also to keep us going and growing. If you enjoyed what you heard, please support us by reviewing and following us on your favorite podcast apps or YouTube, or just plain sharing with your friends. You can also support us financially on Patreon for exclusive perks. Know Which Way the Wind is Blowing was written by Setsu Uzume. The podcast was produced and edited by Gendo Okeshi, with sound editing by Nockshade. This week's story featured the voice talents of Laura Chaplin, Kieran Dreister, Purple Rogue, Setsu Uzume, Sam Parrish, Penny, Renara Hawk, Sidney Hines III, and Daniel Barber. Voice of All is unofficial fan content, permitted under the Wizard of the Coast fan content policy. Magic the Gathering is copyright, Wizards of the Coast. Thanks so much for listening. Y'all have a great day.